If you like what you're listening to, support this podcast on Patreon. Patreon.com, search Phil Dawson, or find a link in the show notes and join up. It's very much appreciated. Thank you for listening. Chapter 24, The Third Path. Lauren moved down the curved hallway of the tower with practiced grace. For the first year of her tenancy among the ivory towers, she had regularly gotten lost, for the corridors and walls were not straight, but rather curved to fill their outer shape. Slowly, she had stopped thinking in terms of north and south, and instead estimated in terms of distance from the tower's center and the angle from the entrance. Now the towers were no longer an enigma to her. The Archmandrite had noticed her growing assuredness. Of course, she seemed to notice everything and congratulated her on the matter. Drafna still rises from meetings and heads for the wrong door, she said. Drafna was confused by many things, but proved to be brilliant with artifacts. He could postulate an entire artifact from the merest scraps and was rarely incorrect in his assessment. As he pored over Tokaja's notes, he occasionally reminded Lauren of the young Urza and Mishra, so intent was his desire for understanding. On a daily level, Drafna proved to be a trial. He regularly disagreed with whatever the majority seemed to prefer. Were it not for Herkel, he would have left the Union long ago. Herkel held the leash, and Lauren soon realized many of Drafna's discoveries were in fact made by her, and only relayed through the balding scholar. She was a timid woman, almost to the point of being invisible. In the three years Lauren had been at Teresia City, she had heard the woman complete the full sentence only three times. In many ways, Herkel reminded Lauren of herself as a young woman. City life seemed to agree with Herkel. She, her husband, and all their students back on Latinam apparently had shaved their heads because the school was mostly underground, and shaving of all the body hair kept the lice at bay. Since staying at the ivory towers of Teresia City, Herkel had allowed her hair to grow out and proved to have thick, luxurious tresses that caught the light like strands of obsidian cord. Drafna had returned to Latinem several times, but Herkel always remained. The Archmandrite was the center of the Union, but Herkel was one of the keystones of that group, as well as Felden, and despite himself, Drafna. And Lauren had come to recognize herself as well. The halls were full of lesser scribes and scholars as she wended her way to Felden's private sanctuary. The city was quickly becoming a refuge for those individuals who saw their work threatened elsewhere. Most were from lands bordering the Falaji Empire, but there were numerous expatriates from Zigan, Tomakul, and other Mishra-held cities. To Lauren's surprise, there were some from Corlys and Yosha as well, and some dwarves from the Sardian Mountains who did not trust Urza and the Argivians. There had also been an infusion of charlatans, tricksters, hoaxers, and outright frauds. Yet for every three such con men and con women, there was an individual who carried a useful device, an old scroll, or something that added to the growing body of knowledge kept in the tower. Lauren would have evicted the lot of them, but the Archmandrite had taken them in, and the Union was stronger for it. Then there was the Brotherhood of Gix. Their order of black-robed monks venerated some sort of machine god, which should have had made them invaluable in working with ancient artifacts. But their love of the artifacts approached fetishism, and they were continually judging both the artifacts and those who used them. 
To those careless enough to ask, they explained at length that they held Urza and Mishra both unworthy of the great devices they had built and believed the two would be punished for the effantry. The Brotherhood left little doubt that it had the same opinion of Drafna and herself. As a group, they seemed to be holding something back as well, listening to everyone but saying little in response save to offer praises to the machine. Felden had brought back with him some seers from Sarinth and shamans and witch-priests from the Yamak nations of the mountainous northern coast. These last were heavy men with sallow skins, sweating profusely beneath their furs and seal-hide capes. Lorne could see why Felden got along with them, for both he and the Yamak priests were uncomfortable in the warmth of Teresia City. The Archmandrate brought the scholars and librarians of her city. They ranged in quality and temperament, from enthusiastic bibliophiles to hide-bound book straighteners. The latter would rather die than let anyone open their cherished tomes and risk the information within escaping. Still, with kind words and a steely will, the Archmandrite pried their holy texts from their hands. There was one bitter disappointment. The song mages of Sumafa refused the offer of the Union. Instead, they had thrown in with Mishra and were using their skills in his service. I don't see why that's a problem, Drafna said upon getting the news. The Sumafins, all Almazians for that matter, are an irritating people at best. Their language is filled with trills and warbles, and it's hard to understand them. They have a version of old knowledge, said the Archmandrite calmly. Their songs carry some sort of power which allows them to calm and to some degree control savage beasts. Hulkum, snorted Drafna. Perhaps, responded Loren, but there might be truth behind their claims, some natural effect we are missing. There might be something we can learn from. If there is anything at the core of their teachings, said Drafna, it is wrapped under so much forelore and mummery that it's generally useless to us, like that machine god of the Gixians. Now that's a bad lot, creepy fanatics with delusions of mechanical utopia. They're just not all here. The scholar tapped his bald pate repeatedly for emphasis. Felden usually started frowning the moment Drafna opened his mouth. Now he slapped the table with an open hand. Don't dismiss the song mages out of hand. Just because we don't understand a phenomenon doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Drafna turned frosty. I find it hard to believe that music truly calms the savage beast, that's all. I find it hard to believe in men flying in Thran artifacts, snapped Felden, or in mechanical dragons for that matter. But we live in a world where they exist, and I, for one, want to be prepared for them. Now, at Felden's door, the conversation came back to Lauren. Felden and Drafna had become opposite poles in their discussions. Was that why Felden had asked her to come to his personal study, as opposed to bringing something before the entire group? She knocked, and a heavy voice bade her enter. Felden's study was a spartan, a low table piled with books in an orderly fashion, a few chairs around a low table, and a small slate board along the wall. The room was lit by a single window. The heavy bear of a man was seated before the table, which was clear, but for one item. Did you hear the news? Lauren asked as she entered. Felden glanced up with a haggard look. About Yosha? Drafna told me about it at breakfast. It's an ancient history already. Lauren nodded. Even rumors took their time traversing the length of the Falaji Empire, but some refugees from Zegon had arrived in the city the previous evening with important news. Urza had made his move across the Corlys Yoshin border and was liberating cities from the overmatched Falaji. Ancient history, said Felden. By the time the news reaches us, what's-his-name could be in Tomakul? Or have been stopped by a counteroffensive, noted Lauren.
But you did not ask me up here to discuss the news from the battlefronts. What's wrong? What do you make of this? The lame man asked, motioning Lauren forward. Yumuk fishermen brought it in with their nets, the same group that delivered the coral helmet a year ago. It was a cross between a bull mounted on a thick pedestal and a squat, wide-rimmed goblet. The bull was about a foot across with a pair of heavy handles mounted on each side. The bull appeared copperish, but it was unlike any copper Lauren had seen before. The device reminded Lauren of a sacrificial bowl used by the old religions of Argiv. It's called a silex, said Felden, his eyes not leaving the bowl. At least that's what it calls itself, and it's from Golgoth, which I've never heard of either. You know what it is? asked Lauren. Felden tipped the bowl toward Lauren. The interior of the bowl, which would normally be smooth, was covered with small incised figures that seemed to spiral before her eyes from the rim to the base. Its purpose is written on it. Lauren narrowed her eyes. These are Thran glyphs, she said at last. Felden nodded. I can't read those characters, he said, then pointed to another curving line of characters. But these are Falaji characters, written in an arcane style that I can read. These resemble the song markings of the Sumophants, and, and these match the incisions on my cane. These, he pointed to a few other lines, are unlike anything I've ever seen. Do you know what they mean? A way of reading Thran, said Lauren, a master cipher to host an old language. Felden smiled. Indeed, if only the message it bore was not so grim. Lauren raised an eyebrow. And is it? Felden leaned forward over the bowl. I don't have all of it, but I think I have most of it. It's called a Silex, and it's from Golgoth, as I said. Whether Golgoth is a land, a king, or its maker, I have no idea. It's supposed to herald the end of the world. Lauren looked at Felden and said nothing. Felden shook his head. I, I know what you're thinking. Mummery and claptrap. That's one of the reasons I didn't bring it forward to the others. Drafna thinks I'm going to start hanging strands of burning incense and spinning prayer wheels any day now. But listen to the translation of the archaic Falaji. Wipe the land clear. Bring the ending. Topple the empires to bring a fresh start. And this, this, call the end. Fill with memories of the land. Sounds pretty dense. Fill with memories, said Lauren. Sounds like something out of a charlatan's patter, old magics that require the whisper of a dying sun and the smile of a cat. And wasn't there an old Falaji legend of a city in a bottle which survived when the rest of the world was to be destroyed? Felden looked up. You don't believe it, then? Lauren shook her head. I think this is a wondrous find which will unlock many other mysteries for us. Perhaps it carries some warning of an ancient time, but no, I don't believe it. Touch it, said Felden, leaning away from the bowl. Go ahead, touch it. Lauren reached out and grasped the side of the bowl. There was an instant feeling of disquiet, as if the sun had suddenly passed behind a cloud, leaving her in shadow. She looked up and the entire room seemed to have dimmed. Out of that dimness, she thought she heard a cry, the plaintive lament of a young child, though so faint it was almost below her ability to discern. She released the bull's edge, and the world returned to normal. The sun passed from behind the cloud, and the child's cry was gone entirely. You felt it, too, said Felden. Lauren nodded and sat down opposite Felden, the silax between them. There is something here, something we don't understand yet. Is it a warning? 
Our weapon? But what does it mean? asked Lauren. Fill with memories? Has Herkel taught you any of her meditative techniques? inquired Felden. She taught the Archmandrate, who passed a bit on to me, said Lauren. But there are a number of meditative techniques used by scholars to focus attention and concentrate, ranging from the songsmiths of Sumifa to Felden interrupted her with a hasty wave of the hand. But Herkel, our silent compatriot, what of her meditations? The Archmandrite says she sits in the morning and thinks of her home in Latinum, of the azure-colored waves, white with froth, suspended over the shore before crashing down. I think it calms her to think of home, said Lauren. Well, it is fresh in her mind. It keeps her from needing the return to her island. Anything else? asked Felden. Lauren shrugged. There might have been some interesting incidents, she said. The Archmandrite mentions that after her meditating sessions, Herkel's quarters become neater. The books are shelved in their proper order, and her styli are back in their case. No one remembers putting them away, of course. You believe that? said the bear of a man gruffly. I think we need to research the matter further, returned Loren. If it were anyone else but Herkel, Drafna would be shouting from the parapets that it was all bunk and hokum. Yes, nodded Felden. But have you tried the techniques? Have you thought about your homeland? Loren shrugged again. I don't really want to think about Argiv at the moment or what is happening there. Yes, I suppose so, said the bear scholar. I'm going to have to learn that technique, I suppose. Sound like it might be akin to filling something with memories of the land. Lauren did not answer, but looked at the bowl. She reached out for a moment, but did not touch it again. Felden said, if it is a weapon, it is one the brothers could use? Lauren shook her head. I don't think so. There's no mechanism here, no set of weights and cables, no obvious source of its power. All there is is a warning and the bad feeling that surrounds it. Felden nodded. I agree. And yet, why do I feel so loath and, and to tell the others about it? Lorne concurred with the feeling. Tell the Archmandrate at least, she said, and make a parchment rubbing of the interior. The translation within will provide invaluable to our work. Then put it in a safe place, secure from any would-be thieves, just in case it is what it says it is. Felden nodded again, but his eyes were on the silex. It's a little tempting, though, isn't it? Wiping everything clear and starting again? Lauren rose and paused at the door. Yes, she said, but your glaciers would probably melt. And then what would you study? Felden allowed himself a weak smile. You speak the voice of reason. No matter how bad things are now between Mishra and uh, what's-his-name, hasn't gotten all that bad yet. Lauren smiled as well and left Felden to his studies. Outside the room, in the curved hallway, she touched the hand that held the bowl. It was numb. The feeling was only now starting to return to it. She flexed her fingers and tried to will the nerves to respond. Lauren shook her head. It hadn't gotten all that bad. Yet.